Welcome to the Brown Posey Press Show, part of the Books Big Network, a program dedicated to independent and self-published authors. This show will examine new and unique works of literature, learn about their creators, and discuss the industry. And now your host, Tori Gates. My guest is Laura Labrie, author of I Ran Away to Mexico, An Unexpected Spiritual Journey. As a means of dealing with grief, a trip to Mexico to teach English became a challenge and one that sent our author across Central America. In a series of short stories and anecdotes, Laura introduces us to her life, both past and present, the places she's been, the unique characters she's met, and a few life lessons that may take time for some to really think about. The founder of Poverty Project International, Laura, is the street leader and a tour guide. Laura hosts retreats and lives near Cancun, Mexico, uh, said to be a stone's throw from Mayan ruins in Quintana Roo State. Laura, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me on. Well, we got to begin with a disclaimer. Uh, when I got an email from you uh, well over a year ago, I didn't honestly remember who you were, and you had to give me a couple of <laughs> clues. You and I went to middle and high school together for about three years. Yes, we did. Well, that's a long time ago. More you, than 20 years ago, right? <laughs> <laughs> we'll, leave it at, we'll leave it at that. I'll just leave it there. But, yeah. yeah, and it's like uh, you were a person I certainly remembered, and you just suddenly popped back in, and I... I admit, I knew nothing about you when you sort of arrived in all of our lives in Vermont. And after I transferred out of our high school uh, at the end of our freshman year, I honestly wanted to know nothing about anywhere of that part ever again. Mm. And I don't remember an awful lot, but I, I remember certain things. And uh, you certainly were a wonder to us then. You were, you were, you were fascinating because you were just <laughs> different. And in a small county in Vermont, we just didn't get that. Yeah. It was, um, I spent my life up to that point traveling all over. I lived five years in Australia and all over the United States. And coming to a little town in Vermont was a bit of a shock to my system. Um, you know, it took some getting, it did take some getting used to. Of course, I made friends pretty easily and everything, but um, it just was a completely different world for me, too. You know? Well, you ser yeah, you certainly brought that to us. And um, I remember vaguely we played in the band together, but I don't remember too much more. And the interesting thing was, you married a man I rode the bus with as a kid, and I knew Daryl, and I also knew his wow. brother. I knew his brother Dean, but not as well. And so yeah. it it took me a minute to put two and two together. And uh, how retired to Mexico? Tell me about this. Yeah, we were planning to retire in Mexico. We we met in high school. Um, in the library, I was in eighth grade, he was in 10th grade. If you remember, the library, like, connected the junior high to the senior high. Yes. And, um, school nurse, I can't remember her name now. Oh, was it Mrs. Persico? Mrs. Persico told me, there's this nice boy that you need to meet, uh, Daryl Labrie. And, um, she was the one who suggested that we get together and get to know each other, which was kind of a funny story. And wow. of course, we got married right out of high school. 
and uh, he went into the military, and we did a lot of traveling around together. And for our 25th wedding anniversary, we came to this little fishing village just a little south of of Cancun, and um, I got certified to scuba dive, and we had an amazing experience together. Decided that that's where we were going to retire, and um, get a bunch of trips down there over the next couple of years. But it was only about two years, I think, before he passed away. Right. So I came back down and and uh, brought his ashes and scattered them on the reef. So he's here. Then that was really interesting because I did not know what had happened to either of you, and reading that initial part of what he went through and what you went through and as as that all happened and then the grief and then yeah i mean it was it was really cool that you brought him back to that little village and yeah we tend to stick around you know even after we've left our bodies you know it's it's yeah. i don't believe in the concept of death of just that but i i just see i mean uh, krishna das always talks about you don't die you leave your body it's you just go on to whatever the next thing shall be, and that's just kind of how I've always looked at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I feel the same way. That's certainly amazing, though. And yeah, and it was it was it during was it during this time that you just decided to stay? Did you need was it a need to get away? That kind of thing. You know, it's funny. The title of the book is "I Ran Away to Mexico," and it, it's kind of a was a joke because Daryl and I had always said if things got really bad, we would just run away to Mexico. And then I did. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, I, when I was down here on all those trips that we did together, I made some really good friends, especially in the scuba diving community. And so it was easy for me to come back down here. Um, I had a good support network it's beautiful, it's sunny and warm. I, this sounds terrible, but it's the truth. I I joke with people and I say, well, I could, we were living in Virginia at the time, and I say, I could sit on the couch in Virginia with a bottle of wine and drink myself to death, or I could sit on a beach in Cancun with a margarita and drink myself to death. I'm going to the beach. <laughs> <laughs> it's a better choice, isn't it? <laughs> it's, a better, it's a way better choice, and... And really, there was so much to do here. The ruins are incredible. The beaches are glorious. The scuba diving is amazing. And there's healthy people, people from all over the world on vacation. The vibe is amazing. And everybody is outside all the time. Life is outside. Life is not inside, hidden away. The restaurants, most of the restaurants don't even have indoor seating. Everything is outside. You walk to the little fruit and veggie market. The food is super healthy and fresh. You know, you get a lot of exercise, a lot of sunshine. It does a lot of good for your soul. You know, it, it you're getting vitamin D and salt water and fresh air and you're around people. So it's super healing for me to be able to come here. Right. It was a very important part of my journey. And we're not talking about a resort. We're talking about the actual communities. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I lived in, in a little tiny village. There's an interesting quote in Chapter 4 of the book that was really intriguing to me. 
okay. it says, don't come here to help us. Yeah. You had an exchange with this fellow, and what what did he mean by that? And also, what, what how did you how did you interpret it? Because it sounds like you understood it and you got it. Yeah, he was a sweet man. He still lives here. He's actually a retired doctor from Mexico City. He moved to the beach um, here and. I was really excited when I came back down because I love Mexico so much. I decided that I was going to volunteer my time to teach English as a second language um, to little Mexican kids. And I was chatting with um, this man. His name is Fernando. And he said to me, you know, I'm, I can see that you're very excited and that you want to come down here and that you love Mexico. And he was a very kind soul. Everything from him, all the energy that was coming from him was supportive and kind. So when he said, but don't come here to help us, I didn't take that as being anything derogatory or negative at all. I took it as advice that I really needed to stop and listen to. And he went on to say, don't come here to help us. Just come and live with us. You will find your place. And that really defined how I began to live over the next few years. Rather than trying to come down here and, you know, when you come into a, a country like this, it's, there's a lot of poverty and, you know, there's these beautiful resorts out in Cancun and stuff, but I don't live in a resort town. I live in a very small village. And when you get just a mile or two away from the beach, the poverty is extraordinary. But the people are really happy. And so many times we come down to places like this thinking that we have the answers. We know how we're going to fix the problems and how we're going to improve people's lives. But we really don't know. We don't understand. And the only way to understand with that, that is what I did. And with that, we're going to take our first break. Laura Labrie is my guest, author of I Ran Away to Mexico and other works. This is the Brown Posey Press Show. Stay with us. Explore Sunbury Press books and find the work of talented authors in many genres. Ars Metaphysica is our spiritual, new age, and metaphysical imprint. Check out Pettengill's Perfect Fortune Teller and Dream Book by Pelatiah Pettengill. The Space Between by Judith Bowen and works by Kareem El Kusa, including The Phoenician Code. Find out more by clicking on the Books tab at sunburypress.com. We're back. My guest is Laura Labrie, author of I Ran Away to Mexico, An Unexpected Spiritual Journey. We're going to talk a little more about this book and some of the others. And uh, Laura left us with this piece of advice, and you had uh, a chapter as well in the book about living in Central America, which seemed to, this sort of piggybacks off what you were just saying, there is a real simplicity in people's lives down there. And I think most Westerners would find this to be almost alien. And yet, you, as you right. said, and my, my lone experience in the Caribbean many years ago, the same thing, there was just this happiness, this simplistic happiness and this joy. And it was infectious. Mm-hmm. It really was. Definitely. Definitely. It's, it's, 
you know, a lot of people think, well, they, the people that live in these small communities and don't have a lot are happy because they don't know any better. And that is not true at all. Right. They have Wi-Fi and television and cell phones, and they, they know what the world is like. They know that, you know, people have big, beautiful houses and cars and all kinds of stuff like that. Um, that's not where, that's not why they're happy. It's not because they don't know. The reason that they're so happy is because they are connected. Mm-hmm. And it's, it seems really easy. I actually, um, wrote about it. There's four points of connection. Connection to yourself, connection to other people, connection to nature, and connection to the spirit realm or God, or however you want to put that. Right. And when those four places, those four points, when you find connection in those four points, it brings you to center. It brings you to this place of balance in your life. And there is such a feeling of contentment when you're in that place. And that's why those people are so happy, because they are fully connected in all those four points. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you discuss in your work about manifestation. This is something I have a bit of experience of myself. Obviously, it's from a different path, but I think that they're they're pretty parallel. Um, we both know that it's not necessarily like wishing for something when you manifest. It, it can sometimes be visualizing what you seek or hope for. Is there a way to define it? Yeah, how to manifest? Manifesting things? Yes. I think... Really, when you're manifesting something, you're manifesting um, not just from what you're thinking and what you're visualizing, but from also what is going on inside of you, what is really going on inside of your heart. Um, it's more manifesting really comes from a place even of your subconscious. So it's all of these things coming together. You can think about something that you really want, but if inside your heart you're afraid that you'll never have that thing, you're probably not going to be able to manifest it. Right. So the things that we manifest are actually the things that we don't hold on to with a sense of desperation. I My favorite tool for manifesting is the phrase, wouldn't it be cool if? And then just whatever. <laughs> wouldn't it be cool if... Um, Somebody gave me a free ride on a boat. And then you walk down to the beach, and somebody it works. It's amazing. <laughs> I never thought of it like that. And, I, I mean, I, when my experiences have always been at times, not always, but it's like when, I've, when I have heard others or watched others do that, it would always be very solemn and it would be very serious and all that. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and sometimes that's a useful thing, but at the same time, it always kind of comes back around to my, my mind would always just sort of come back to a mundane aspect, which was, do you really want this? Is this what you mm-hmm. want? Do you need it? And I guess it, for me, it's always been the question of don't ask for too much because you don't know what you're going to get. And, you want to, it's almost like you want to save the good thing for later when you really need it. And it's, I, I think if you, you, you took a very simple line with it and it's so much easier and so much better, isn't it? It's super fun. And you can really just do experiments with that. 
Because what happens is you start out with small things. You manifest, you know, a free ride on a boat, um, a free dinner, you know, whatever it is that you are calling or that something small. What that does is it increases, you could just call it your faith. It increases your faith. And the more you believe that you can manifest things, the easier it is to manifest things. So the best thing to do is to just start out with the fun, small stuff and work your way up from there. Mm-hmm. And really, don't save anything for later. Do it all now. It's all fun. You only got today. You don't know if you got tomorrow. Why wait? And it's true. We don't always know. And uh, I, I think that kind of leads to a question that I wanted to ask you about um, your book, How to Happify Your Life. Uh, there were some very simple things in that as well, which were really cool. And you talk about an experience where you talked about earlier about everybody's outside that there was a group of folks that had sort of, there was a community that had sort of gotten detached because Mm. things were brought to them and suddenly people were going inside because they had things and they had stuff and some rejected it just saying, we don't need it. That was really fascinating to me. Uh, What, what can you remember about that? And and who exactly were we talking about? Because I, 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 I just thought it was really something. It's a really interesting group of people. Uh, they're sometimes called the forgotten people. It's a, a tribe in Costa Rica called the Bribri, mm-hmm. and they live up in the Talamanca Mountains. They have this village that you have to go across a swinging bridge to get to the village. So it's very isolated, and they live the same way that they have lived for generations. By the way, this is one of the areas that has more centurions, people over 100 years, than any other place in the world. Wow. It's amazing how healthy these people are. But what happened was the government decided that they were going to give these people some cement so that they could build houses. And they were going to give them some, a bunch of different things. And the people, the elders in that village, didn't even want it because they had an amazing, beautiful way of living pretty much off the land and yet having everything that they needed. It's a very communal style of living. They have one big central kitchen where everybody would come together and cook, you know, on Thursdays. They made tamales for the whole village. And the men worked together and they had a chocolate forest, cacao. They grew cacao. Mm -hmm. And then we'd go work in the forest and the kids would play. And it was just this lovely sense of community. But when next the mint came... Some of the younger people decided that they wanted to build concrete houses. And they built them, they built them down by the bridge. And then what happened was once they had these concrete houses, they felt like they had to get these other things. And so they ended up getting jobs and they ended up going outside of their community. And then, oh, they had enough money to buy a stove. So now the woman who lived in that house was no longer going into the community kitchen. And working with the other ladies, she had her own stove, which she thought was cool because it cost money. But that Hmm. isolated her. It kept her at home. And little by little, those people became more isolated. And when you go into the village, it's incredible because at the bottom of the hill, it looks like, you know, a, a really bad trailer park. It's just plastic things that are broken, throwing around, and garbage, and 
But when you go up on top of the hill where the original community is, it's pristine and beautiful. And I think part of that is because not only is there this sense of happiness, but there's also this sense of well-being and softwell houses and got the jobs and bought the things and disconnected from their community, they, they started to get depressed. And when the, you start to get depressed, you don't take care of your, your things. They, it's yeah, almost like they, it's like they built their own, they built their own prisons in a way. Yeah. It's like they built their own prisons. And exactly. there's, there's a, there's a, there's a song by the, by the blues artist Kebmo called Victims of Comfort. And that's one of my favorite songs of his. And it just, oh, I hear, when I, I think back to that every now and then, and that's, that came to mind. When, when I read that, I just thought, wow. Mm. And this is so opposite to anything so many of us would recognize. And yet, here they are, here those folks are on the top of the hill, and they're still flourishing. And they're still, it's yeah. like, it's what, a, what an amazing example this is. It was really beautiful. And those people are so healthy. They live such a long time. They're so connected. They're so happy. And going there just fills you with joy. It's an amazing experience. It sounds like it. Well, we're going to take our last break. Laura Labrie is my guest. She is the author of I Ran Away to Mexico and Other Works, and we'll talk more about these when we come back. This is the Brown Posey Press Show. Stay with us. Sunbury Press Books brings the reader unique and independent works of fiction and nonfiction. Oxford Southern is our educational and academic imprint. Check out Shades of Brown by Todd Mealy, Philip Mosley's Telling of the Anthracite, or Wiley McCallan's A Man of Modern Letters, Ernest Hemingway, and The Rise of Modern Literature. Click on the Oxford Southern link for more at sunburypress.com. My guest is Laura Labrie, author of I Ran Away to Mexico, An Unexpected Spiritual Journey. And we've been talking about uh, some of what Laura experienced uh, from her previous travels there and now her long-term stay. And we were talking about some of the energies and the Mayan ruins are among those. And there is a unique feeling that you've entered another space when you when you go someplace else. And you have some connection. You have, I think you do some tours and stuff there. Tell us about your experience with these and what you have felt, what people will feel if they come there. Mayan ruins are definitely an amazing place to be. Um, we actually, my partner and I take people on journeys that are really more of a retreat than a tour. Right. Um, and we go to some of the more remote ruins because Chichen Itza, for example, which is the most um, most popular, is very crowded, and it's really hard to get in touch with the energy and the way things feel there. But there's another ruin that's not too far away from there called Ek Balam. It is unbelievably beautiful and so quiet. When you go there, you have this incredible sense of peace. You stand in this square that has Mayan pyramids all around you. And there's this big, beautiful tree that is considered the most sacred place in the entire ruin. If you climb up halfway up the first, the, the main pyramid, there's a carving up there called the Wit Monster. The Wit Monster is the portal to the Mayan overworld. They call it, it's kind of like heaven, call it 
flower mountain. And then back to that tree, the roots of the tree go down into what is called Shivalva, or the Mayan underworld. So when you're there, you feel this connection from the underworld to this world to the overworld. And this is where the gods, the Mayan gods, which are still active today, they move up and down through the Shabalba, through this world, and up into Fallen Mountain, the overworld. You can feel the energy when you're there. It's it's sacred and beautiful, and, and a lot of people might think that there's a lot of negative kind of feelings when you're there because there's stories about sacrifice, but I don't feel any of that. And in all honesty, while the Mayans did do some sacrifice, it was not the way that people think it was something that was done mostly in times of desperation. Right. It's a very beautiful, peaceful place. If you ever get a chance, you should definitely do that. It sounds amazing. And uh, I wanted to ask you also about some of the travels that you have written of. Um, there is a time travel experience that you wrote of. <laughs> and I mean, I write, I've written about time travel in some of my books, but I've never fully experienced such a thing. This is, this is interesting. This is in Costa Rica. Okay, tell me, please tell me about this because I'm, I'm intrigued by it. So once you get out of the, the U.S. And, and some of the other first world countries, you start to connect with these energies that are so strong mm -hmm. down here in Mexico and Central America. And Costa Rica was one of those places that it's almost like you're walking through portals of different dimensions. One night, um, we were at, I, had, I owned something called the Two Bizarre Tiki Bar. <laughs> and with the little house that I was living in was right on the property, and it was late. It was, we closed at about midnight, and my partner was supposed to be kind of closing things up and getting people out the door. And I went over to go into the little house, and I actually fell asleep. I slept for three hours, and when I woke up, it was 3 o'clock, thereabouts, and there was still activity going on in the, in the bar restaurant area which was very strange because they were supposed to have gone home hours ago. So I went back over there, and everything was the same. People were still sitting there, and the music was still going, and I asked you know, my partner, why is everybody still here? Why haven't you, you know, closed things up? And he said, it's only been 10 minutes. You, you walked out of here 10 minutes ago. Oh. And everybody else was looking at their watches. There was a, you know, maybe... 10 or 12 people in there, people were looking at their watches and seeing that their watches were, had jumped ahead three hours, but they felt like it had only been 10 minutes. So this was like a, somehow we lost three, I felt the full three hours because I was, well, I was sleeping, so I guess I don't know for sure. But to me, it felt like a bunch of time had gone by, but to all of these people that were sitting in the tiki bar, they felt like no time had gone by, but they lost three hours. It was an amazing experience. Wow. And it seems like, as you say, this is so ingrained in that area. And for those of us who don't have that experience, when we walk into it, sometimes we don't realize what we've just walked into and we get hit with it. And yeah. that must really just 
does it does it feel like it 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 knocks something out of you because I have had one or two experiences where I wa- I was involved in a ritual and I watched a good friend of mine literally turn into someone else. And <laughs> then you should have asked me stories about shapeshifters. We can talk about that next time. Well, that's something too that uh these things do occur and it's like we don't always recognize them. And you've you've found your you have just found this place in the world and you like for example you uh you host retreats you do some do some guides guide work and that kind of thing uh tell us about the retreats what is what are the purpose for you of them what do you want people to take away from them you may have already talked about this before well i had i work closely with the mayan people here especially if man is a shaman a generational shaman mm-hmm. and um he asked as much as he possibly teaches about Mayan magic, medicinal plants, healing, um, and, but really it's about magic. So my job is to go there to learn to write all of these things down and to share it with the world. And a lot of other people wanted to come and be a part of those. Plus, it began to, it was able to fund the project because going out there all the time got expensive because it's three hours away from where I live and, you know, you have to pay for hotel rooms and all that kind of stuff. So, a healing session we can with the translator and to spend time with his family to see how they live and to learn about Mayan magic. So, we also take people to other places around there, to some of the ruins some of the cenotes, which are um, sort of like they're caves that are full of water that where the Mayas still go to pray. It's, again, a beautiful, sacred, and powerful place. We also plug people into stories of things like shape-shifting and jungle guardians and um, alishas, which is like an elemental being. These things still exist there. I've been researching and finding all of these stories, and then we just take people no more than seven at a time. It's always very small. We go for usually through discovering these stories, going to these holy places, and often actually having experiences yourself. So it's not a tour to go see things. It's a spiritual journey to go experience things. Indeed. Magic, the magic of the Maya. Indeed. Well, you have told me that you are working on a new book. May I ask uh, what your 13th is going to be? So book number 13 is uses the wisdom of the ancient Mayan calendar called the Tolkien. It's the sacred part of the Mayan calendar, yeah. which is based on the human life cycle. It's not tied to the moon or the sun. It's a nine-month calendar based on the human life cycle. And we can use this calendar to tell you what your destiny is. So it's geared towards people that are nearing around the age of maybe 45 and then beyond that. Once you get to that page in your life where you feel like kind of like a midlife crisis, you're not actually going through a midlife crisis. You're stepping into your destiny. And this Mayan calendar that is more than 3,000 years old, has some amazing information 
and advice for you as you begin to step into your destiny to help you see what your mission in life is and how best to live your life. It has advice for your actions, what actions to take, and advice for how to deal with your emotions in order that you can become the best version of yourself. That is what the book is about. I'm super excited about it, and I'm more than halfway done. Excellent. And where can we find your books? Um, the best place to go is my website, which is mayaharmony.com. And from there, the, some of the links will take you to Amazon because the books are all available on Amazon. But there's so much that is available on the website itself, lots of free things, lots of you can find out your own Mayan horoscope there for free. You can read my blog, which has lots and lots of stories on it. I definitely would recommend going to the website, mayaharmony.com. Well, my guest has been Laura Labrie, and she is the author of many books. And it has been wonderful to talk to you again. Uh, you have taken people along with you, and you're certainly living your best life, I'd say. And I guess that's what we're all looking <laughs> for. So thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. You've been listening to the Brown Posey Press Show with your host, Tori Gates. Find his works, including Searching for Roy Buchanan, Call It Love, and Shake Hands with the Devil, along with more independent authors of fiction and nonfiction at sunburypress.com. Thank you for listening. This is the BookSpeak Network. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.